Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski, and I interview bike tourists from around the world to bring you stories of their adventures and experiences. These are people who get out there and leave the comfort zone of the typical 9 to 5 to embark on ambitious adventures and take on challenges that most people can only dream about. If you like what you hear today, please share this podcast with other bike tours you know, or anyone else you think may be interested. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or find me on Facebook and Instagram at Bike Tour Adventures. In this episode of Bike Tour Adventures, I have the chance to speak with Michael Conti, an American ultra-endurance cyclist that came first place in the race across the West in 2015. Unfortunately, in 2016, while in top position in the race across America, his support vehicle was hit by a transport truck. Two years later, he gave it another shot and placed fourth overall and first American overall. In today's episode, we'll learn all about what it takes to make it in the world of ultra-endurance bike racing, how to be mentally and physically prepared after something uneventful happens. Michael, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning. All right. And uh, so you're in Utah. I'm up here in Canada. We're all kind of in the same situation where uh, this coronavirus is just giving everybody a whole bunch of home time. So great times to do interviews. So thanks for being here today. Yeah, it's definitely definitely giving us a lot of stay at home, stay in place kind of uh, scenarios right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why don't we start with just uh, some background information uh, information about yourself? So tell us about yourself and um, all that fun stuff. Yeah, I, I, I kind of classify myself as a midlife crisis athlete. You know, <laughs> looking in, in my forties was looking for something to do. Uh, took up uh, triathlons and Ironman. And uh, really found out I hate running. I just hate it. Um, you know, the best part of training was swimming and and, and uh, being on my bike and uh, just kind of really fell in love with the bike a little more um, and uh, kind of took that on. You know, I'm a father of a 15-year-old right now. So kind of balancing that and cycling came, you know, was was pretty easy because I could do it on a trainer here in Utah. Yeah. Uh, or or outside and then uh, you know some friends said hey we're gonna ride our bikes from salt lake to las vegas over five six days you know you want to do it and i was like no that's dumb that's crazy what are you guys talking about <laughs> how far how far is that though in terms of distance 500 and like 20 miles okay you know so they were doing like 80 to 100 a day and so i said oh i'll, I'll do the first couple of days well i got suckered in to doing the whole thing that was uh 10 years ago mm-hmm and uh, so got suckered into doing the whole thing. And then as then we said, there's a race called Saints of Sinners from Salt Lake to Las Vegas. And me and my buddy were like, 
they do it in a five and ten man team and we had a bunch of friends that did it and we we're like a five man team that's like a hundred miles each over you know 24 hours that's easy with 10 man that's 50 miles each that's yeah that's way too easy let's do it as a two-man team so that was kind of my first real dive into ultra we did as a two-man team and then uh two years later i did it solo i was the first person to be able to do it solo oh wow um which which the key is it's in july and so on and so forth um so it's really hot and they have a 36 hour time limit. So I saw a video clip of you where a car pulled up and I think it might've been one of your early events and they're like, how you doing? He's like, you're like, I'm an idiot. Like never again. What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, that was the race. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> That was what I did in solo. It was like, I was, I, I was in a weird headspace. I hadn't learned the whole endurance cycling that it's a mental game. It's not really a physical. Okay. Let's take that back. It is a physical game but the mental will wreck your race before the physical part will. Okay. And, and mentally I just was like, I think it was like 12 or 14 hours into the race. But what the heck am I doing? This is ridiculous. Like this is dumb. Like this is, this is, it's humanly possible, but where is my mind going to draw, you know, draw the line and say, this is enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and that, that video clip is kind of like the first intro into, into ultra, you know, craziness i guess the ultra world of like let's see how far we can push our body and what what is the limiting factor in pushing our body i think the good thing about it is it's i mean it is you know it hits all those dopamine receptors too just like i think drugs might and um it is addicting you know like biking is addicting you get this really great russian feeling from it and i mean it's it's pretty uh it's pretty masochistic as well and um but way better than doing drugs i mean it's I mean, at least for your, <laughs> for your long-term health. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, in, in raw, we had some pretty crazy hallucinations. I learned what, you know, the real lack of sleep was, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and that's uh, the closest thing I think I've ever been to like tripping out as far as like, like being, seeing things, thinking things are happening, thinking my crew is trying to sabotage me. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. It was a weird, the last night was a weird night. <laughs> Did you ever do any bike touring and stuff or was it just always kind of strictly road biking and then eventually the races? I have not. I'll tell you, um, I'm, I'm a princess. I, uh, I like sleeping in a bed. Um, and that's kind of why the design of my van, you know, for ultra racing is because it has all the comforts of home from an espresso maker to a queen size, you know, uh, bed in the back, Mm -hmm. um, heating and air conditioning and stuff like that. Um, bike touring has interested me. Um, and kind of like you and I were talking just a, a minute ago before we started, this mm-hmm. was bike touring is like, a, is, is a slow adventure. Yeah. And to me, it's like this, the ultra racing, when you have a van, it is a fast journey. Um, and there are two separate things. I mean, it is, I mean, it's, mm-hmm, it's, mm-hmm. It, it, it's completely separate where you have a crew handing you out, you know, crew handing you everything they're navigating for you they're you know telling you what's coming up telling you where everyone is i mean we've got radios back and forth um i don't know how to explain it in another scenario but it's it's two different things and i, and I haven't slowed down enough uh to do the bike touring okay. uh part of it you know and sleeping out in the tent and I thought about doing tour divide after i did ram and and my wife kind of talked to me out of it saying <laughs> hmm the whole idea of bears and bear spray and yeah, how about we just give you, give it a break. So 
literally i've been on a year and a half break right now well so. you're still young so uh could happen in the future it possibly could and i think it probably will <laughs> there's uh there's one guy i interviewed previously his name's chris bennett he's a, a about early 60s canadian guy living in new zealand and uh he was big into these self-supported races and i just saw a post yesterday that he's like oh here in new zealand you know, race season's over, so I decided to do the Everest challenge, but the 10K version. And he found a hill that had an 85 meter climb, and uh, or ele- <laughs> elevation climb, and then hit it 115 times in about 19 hours. <laughs> oh my god, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah, I think it's quick recovery, but yeah, no, I got it. <laughs> yeah, it was like 320 kilometers of riding or something, and <laughs> I was like, yeah. good for him. You know, there's you're never too old. That's the thing. It's just uh, you just no, you, and that's the one thing about cycling. So, I mean, you're never too old because, and honestly, the ultra racing is not me racing someone else. It's me racing myself. Mm-hmm. It's me racing my mind. It's me racing. When am I going to give up? It's like yeah, someone. Someone's like, oh my god, how do you ride your bike that far? I'm like, well, how far did you ride last? Forty miles. I go, Why didn't you go fifty? I don't know. I go, that's a limit you put on yourself. Yeah. You went out and said you're going to do 40 miles today. You didn't say you're going to do 50. You didn't say you're going to do 60. You said you were going to do 40. Why'd you, why'd you limit yourself at 40? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's kind of one of those things people look at me with like sideways, their head tilts. It's like, oh, I never thought about that. I mean, you know, when I'm training for Ram, you know, or Raw or any of the big races, I mean, I go out and do 100 miles on a training ride with two bottles and, you know, one bar. And I might fill up once at a gas station. And, you know, I just go pound it out in five and a half, six hours and I'm done. Right. Or some people to do a hundred miles is they sign up for an event and they pay the money and then they, you know, they stop at three different aid stations and, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's, it's how people set themselves up. Um, you know, it's like going into a race and you, 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 you think in your mind is like, Oh, I'm giving myself a 30% chance I can finish. Yeah. Well, you're, you're gonna, there's a 30% chance you're going to finish. I go into, into a race that I prepared for and I've worked my butt off and I've put in the miles and I give myself a hundred percent chance of finishing. I've been fortunate though, that I go in prepared, you know, I'm not going to do anything that I'm not prepared for. Um, and, um, I like the challenge. I like when we're out there racing, you know, neck and neck and, and, um, you know, with, with my friends and I consider people in ultra world, my friends, I, people reach out to me all the time looking for advice. I open up my playbook to anyone asking, as I say, the reason being is I'm not racing them. I'm racing myself mm-hmm. at the end of the day. And I have my own goals and I want to achieve those. And that's it. Like when I went to raw, I was, you know, that was 2015, and I was, I was in shock. I showed up with one crew member and all these other people had shirts and, you know, eight crew members. And I'm just, and we had one vehicle. I'm like, oh my God, I'm in a whole nother world. Uh, okay. But I'm just, all I'm doing is trying to get to Durango. That's it. I've got my family meeting me in Durango. That's all I'm doing. Nice. How, far, was a how race far was Raw? How long is it? That year it was a shorter course. I think it was 860 something. Mm-hmm. And now it's 920 because they added the, the Ram Century in there. They kind of don't go through Scottsdale anymore. And they, they do a Camp Verde loop, which okay. is super difficult the way, the way it comes into the race. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, so it's is, pretty is interesting. So the, the Raw is a fixed course? Yeah. Is Ram fixed course as well? Like you have to follow a very specific route? Absolutely. Oh, you do? Okay, yes. yeah. Yeah, so it's a it's satellite trackers. It's yeah, it's it's a fixed course. 
it's changed, you know, a couple times in the past 10 years, but not much. Okay, so even like year after year, it tends to be very, very similar route if it has any changes at all, right? Yeah, like in the beginning, it started the Huntington Beach Pier, and then it finished in, uh, I'm trying to think of that place in New York, New York or New Jersey, uh, Atlantic City. Um, I think it's finished in Georgia. I mean, they've had different ways, but this has been kind of the course that, that makes the most amount of sense for them. Okay. Uh, it's Right now, it's 3,069 miles and 175,000 feet of climbing. That's a lot. Um, yeah, but, but it, it sounds like a lot, and it, and it is a lot. Trust me, I know. It's, it's a lot of mileage, but when you break it down day by day, it's just a matter of staying on your bike and keep pedaling and keep moving you know, eastward. Mm-hmm. And that's about yeah. how it goes. What did you do in previously? And I know you retired recently, but what did you do prior to this? And how? I mean, I guess it all kind of plays into affording to do these events, right? Yeah, well, I was self-employed. Uh, I owned a furniture company up here in Park City, Utah. So right time, right place. Um, and someone wanted it more than I did two years ago. So oh. being self-employed, it's nice because it allowed me the training. It was hard with, with my daughter. Um, I was a single father uh, for a while and... So, you know, that's getting up on the trainer at four o'clock, pounding out two hours, you know, waking her up, taking her to school, then going to work, you know, and then if I have her that evening, picking her up from school, Mm -hmm. getting dinner, get on the trainer while she's studying, and then get off the trainer, put her to bed, and get back on the trainer. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, which is, which I think is a good thing because I think it breaks up up your workout because right you know how mm-hmm. when you if you ever take a break and, and you know go to a gas station and get food or, or whatever and you get back on your bike and your legs feel like just complete stumps yeah you know for me it's learning how to push through that because you know just like on a descent you know these long descents you know in an ultra you're trying to just be arrow cruise get your recovery drink and then as soon as a climb comes your legs just go what are you doing yeah exactly why are we doing this well, I think you mentioned too, like um, you, you did some Ironman, but you hated running. And, and that makes me think like, you know, the stops on a bike is similar. Like when you get off that bike and you're about to run and your legs are just like, what are you doing to me right now? You know, like they don't like it. Um, it's kind of that same little bit of feeling, you know, so it's, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing I've learned about ultras is, you know, running. So I'm like uh, bike touring is I'm allowed to run as many bikes as I want that fit in the car, right? Or mm-hmm. the van. In my case. So we run three different bikes, um, which is great because the geometry, well, the geometry is somewhat similar except for my TT bike, but they, the, it's kind of different muscles. So, you know, you know, the TT bike, it's a different muscle. My climbing bike's a little different. Mm-hmm. And then my hybrid, which is, you know, a little bit of both. Yeah. We'll, we'll actually, we'll, we'll come to the bikes in a few minutes. Um, actually, I wanted to ask you, why did you, um, why did you decide to go towards the what or what brought you more towards the supported endurance racing as opposed to the non-supported like Trans Am or something? Like I was saying, I'm a princess. <laughs> <laughs> I like to sleep in a bed. Oh, my friends are going to give me crap about that one, but they know it. It's like I like sleeping in a bed. Like when I show up to an event with my van, I've got my van, I've got my coffee, I've got my bed. It's super comfortable. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it just it's a time thing. Also, it is like a Trans Am takes so long and I just don't have that with my daughter and with the company that I had. I just don't, 
I just didn't have that kind of uh, freedom of time. Yeah, it's nearly double the days. I think guys, the fastest guys are maybe finishing in 16 or 17 days or something. I'm not sure. I haven't paid attention yeah, to too pretty, much to Trans Am. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't even be that fast. So, yeah, it, it, it would take me twice as long, you know, by the time... And, and it's just, it's an uncomfortable, I think those guys, I think those guys go to, into an uncomfortable zone that I just don't want to do. I don't know. It's, it's different. I mean, it's completely different. I think. Yeah. It's, it's a different event. I mean, you can stay in hotels. I know lots of, uh, I've, I've talked to lots yeah. of people that do stay in hotels only, but you know, by the time you check in and you get your bike in the room and you take a quick shower or whatever, and then you're already down to two and a half hours before you want to get back out on that bike. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, it's like. I'd much rather do the cannonball run, you know, and, and haul butt across the country than, you know, <laughs> than, than kind of cruise it. But I, I'm sure as I get older, I'm probably going to do some more self-supported stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I said, Tour Divide has an interest to me. Um, just that the, the wife has said no for right now. So. Yeah, I'd like to do it too at some point. How do you prepare for the Ram? I mean, or just a major race like this? How do, how do you, what is, what's the process that you go through to prepare? How many hours do you spend on the bike and per day, I guess, or a week. Um. Yeah. So I'm different than most. I, I had a coach, Jeff, Jeff Louder, who, uh, uh, was a professional racer, um, wore, you know, rode for BMC, um, some big teams, great guy. And, you know, Jeff taught me all about recovery and recovery is huge. So a lot of the stuff I did wasn't huge mileage. Like you'll see guys go out and just pounding and pounding and pounding them. And, and it, your body never recovers. Mm -hmm. You never get the chance to have a good, you know, like if you do a hundred mile day, your next day after that's crap. You just don't have the, 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 the snap in your legs. You just don't, I shouldn't say you, I should say, I don't have the snap in my legs. So what Jeff did was, was, you know, training blocks like you would if you're doing crit racing or road racing, yeah. right? So we do these training blocks. Now I'd have a little bit more mileage, you know, so at the end of, end of a three or four week training block, I might go out and do five to six hours on a Friday, eight to 10 hours on a Saturday, 10 to 12 hours on a Sunday, and then five to six hours on a Monday. And then literally it was our recovery on Tuesday, our recovery on Wednesday, our recover on Thursday, you know, and then off the bike for a couple of days mm -hmm. and then start a training block again. So we kind of broke Ram down into the, into the 50 mile, um, segment. So a lot of times I would think of, okay, today I'm simulating the first 50 miles out of Oceanside or okay. which, or I'm going to simulate on the TT bike, this 80 mile section going through the desert. Um, which is hard up here in the mountains because there's really nothing flat. So I'd have to drive down to Salt Lake and then I'd get down to, to Salt Lake City and then I'd head south for 50 miles, grab a Subway sandwich, turn around and come back 50 miles, you know, because it was pretty, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty flat. We might have like 2,000 feet elevation gain. Um, and that was typically on my outward bound. It's weird. Heading south out of Salt Lake, you actually go uphill. It's the weirdest thing. People don't get it. And coming back was downhill and, you know, you know, that's kind of how my training went. I broke Ram into smaller segments, but my, my training weeks were maybe three, four, 300, 300 miles, 400 miles. So oh, okay. I'm going to say, I'm going to say that's not a lot. A pro would tell you that's a pro level. A Ram guy would say it's not a lot because most of those guys are doing five, 600 mile weeks, which I just think the body doesn't recover. And I think recovery is huge in training. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think you, know. you gotta you gotta balance the the amount of hours you're on the bike. Like you, if you're working full time, like you had a business and stuff, then you're doing your longer rides on the weekends and during the weeks you're doing more on the the trainer and stuff intervals and well, whatnot, and right? And as well, or yeah, and it, and it's trying to balance family. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's the hardest thing. I mean, I I mean, we would go down to St. George and on a training block week, and I'd get up and and leave the house at five o'clock. And I'd ride 70 miles to, you know, Zion's National Park. My family would meet me. I'd change real quick. I'd put a smile on and I'd go hiking with them. And we'd go hiking and, 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 and then, you know, for a couple hours and then go down and then I get back on the bike and I head home. <laughs> oh, wow. like, but, during, but I've learned that during training, uh, there's no complaining when you're with the family. <laughs> yeah, because you can't is. you can't ruin their lives for your own masochistic <laughs> pursuits. Absolutely. So that's that's the part of the balance that's hard to understand. Where you know a lot of these you know a lot of people are single or whatever. It's like no, well with the family when you when you decide to have a family or involve family in this is you go get your ride done and you put a smile on. I cannot tell you how many times I've been late for dinner, late for a uh, uh, you know a uh, uh, how do we call it date night mm-hmm. uh, or we had planned dinner with friends and I am hauling butt to get home on time after finishing, you know, a long ride on a weekend, jump in a shower, three minute shower and out with a smile on my face going, Oh my God, I didn't even get a recovery drink. All right, let's go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so there's a balance there. And I think it's for each individual, it's finding that balance. Mm-hmm. You alluded to having various different types of bikes. I mean, obviously, I mean, somebody could race Ram with just one bike and possibly people that are a little bit on a tighter budget have done it. But um, you had, I think you're sponsored, are you sponsored by Cervelo or you just happen to like Cervelo? Yeah, they can, they, they take care of me. That's uh, good. The rep is a, is a good friend of mine. So they, they make sure I have all the best equipment and, and all the newest and greatest stuff. Yeah, and so. you did because you were riding a P5X time trial bike and that thing is a beaut. Um, can you tell us about your three bikes you said yeah so yeah in 2016 when we got hit i lost two bikes two of my favorite bikes mm. um but uh yeah 2018 uh, um i was riding a cervello r5 that was my climbing bike and so one of the things i like and you kind of ask me about how to prepare for ram is the tech stuff on the behind the scenes yeah so like i used on my climbing bike i had a 175 crank and then we had okay. uh, compact you know 50 uh 50 34 and then i had 11 32 gearing on the back so it was great i mean i was almost one to one with the 34 and the 32 to get through the appalachian mountains because mm-hmm. you don't want to struggle and ram you want to make sure make things you, you want to take every advantage you can especially yeah. mechanically yeah right? like i'm building up a bike right now for ultra endurance stuff and i mean as i would be going self-supported i'm looking at having around a 30 or 31 small on the front and then the 32 on the back. So it's even a little bit smaller, but then I have the weight of the bags and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So then my hybrid bike was an S5. um, And, you know, we had the arrow bars on it. And when SRAM came out with the E-Tap, it was great because I could put the little blips in the, you know, the end of the bars on my TT bars. So I didn't, you know, you start to think about it. Well, in RAM, when you're, you're spending... 200 plus hours on the bike it's like oh i don't have to reach down to shift right mm-hmm. it's just right on the tt bars like my tt bike and it's easier so on your wrist because i've heard of people having like almost like a carpal tunnel wrist numbness from having to shift so much throughout a race dude 
I've had, I had a friend who did it with mechanical and he was telling me about the problems. I'm like, Oh my God, you, you think of just that whole movement in the wrist. I mean, it's a, it's a good movement to get the ship. Well, if it's a mechanical, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definite advantage with, with the, with the, the ETAP. And then we had a 5236 and then, uh, an 1128 on that bike. Okay. So mid, mid compact, you know, got some speed and it was my kind of my roller bike. Um, it was, if one of the other bikes was being fixed or getting a new chain or something was wrong, it was just my go-to It was my training bike. It was the one that just my, my everyday bike you know especially mm-hmm. when i'm out training um yeah you give up on the weight but it's 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 it, it, it goes anywhere and i can relax in the tt bar so it was set up that way yeah um and then as you mentioned i had the the uh the p5x which is a it's a rocket man people don't understand i mean it's a little heavier but on the flats it's just it is it is a it's a speed machine um super comfortable with that I don't want to say it's a beam. I don't know what you call it, the seat post, but it takes either, out the yeah. little, the little vibration, and we can make quick adjustments on um, the the bars because it's just a one bolt, and the bar, the uh, arrow bars will move up or down. We never moved anything in ramp, but mm-hmm. uh, and then I think I had a let's see, fifty three, fifty four, fifty five on the front, and then an eleven twenty five cassette, and. Uh, so, and on that one, we used 170 cranks. So my climbing bike was 175 for the leverage. The hybrid bike was 172 and a half. And then the TT bike was 170. Oh, okay. You so might just, ask. Yeah. Interesting. You might ask, why do you have a 170 crank on the TT bike? Well, your your legs don't, if you imagine a piston, doesn't move up as, as far yeah, exactly. on the TT bike. So what that does is leave... Uh, I'm going to say less butt movement. I'm not sure. Hip movement, I guess, would be the correct way. So I got less saddle sores and there's less irritation because I'm not mm-hmm. moving the hips. And I think also it takes day. a little pressure off your knees as well. So it just allows your legs to not have to collapse as much. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So so each bike was different to allow different parts of my body to have rest when I was using another one. So it was just different enough. And I could, you know, in the first couple of minutes getting on a new bike i'm like oh my god something's this is different yeah okay mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you, you kind of get used to it um and and again these bikes were all professionally fit by my local bike shop you know i've got the guy i call the fit nazi tim here at mountain <laughs> fellow and he is we sit there and we we will sit there for hours just tweaking little things and, it, and it's like if Cervelo were to give me a new bike a couple hours before the race, I wouldn't do anything. I, w- I wouldn't ride it because it's it's not fit for me. It hasn't been adjusted. Things aren't worked out. That's the other thing with people is like, don't change your equipment. Like, use your equipment. Train yeah. on your equipment. Know your equipment. And we went for every advantage we could, and we we took advantage of it. But we weren't like racing something brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing new we would put on a bike is chains and tires. That's it. You know, and okay. running latex tubes because, you know, I always have a van there. So you guys don't run, tubes. you don't run it tubeless. I hate tubeless. Yeah. Why is that? Because there's always a problem. When there's a problem, it's a real pain in the neck. To oh, okay. Fix. <laughs> and if my mechanic's not there, it's not like a crew member can really easily add a tube or something. We are running extra wheels, but I don't know. I'm, yeah. I saw the one video where you, you cruised right over the top ridge of a hill and yeah, I think you're on the, the C5. And you just stopped and your mechanic was sleeping. So you were changing the wheel and putting on the disc so you could just get some speed going down the other side or something. 
Yeah, that was my day crew. And um, so it was in Colorado. And uh, it's, it's weird because it's we had gone over Wolf Creek. It was the next morning. And there's just these flat plains. You think, oh, my God, Colorado's hilly. No, right. it's more like Kansas when you're on the East Coast. And uh, the winds were just a quartering tailwind. I'm like, all right, guys, you got the disc in the van. They did. I'm like, all right, here's what we're going to do. And they they had it ready. And I didn't want them putting on it because it just – if that disc wheel, I had to adjust the brake. Okay. To to be able to grab that, because I don't run disc brakes on anything except for my P5X. So okay, um, I'm I'm kind of old school. I like tubes. I like just certain things. So yeah, I put on the wheel. It was you know quick and easy. But we only had in Ram during all the mileage, we only had one flat tire. The whole thing. Oh, nice. So does the disc when you if you have a bit of a wind from the back, does the disc help with speed? Like it pushes you too, or. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like a quartering tailwind bouncing off that thing is just, yeah, it's fast. Oh, okay. We were hoping, we were hoping in Kansas to, to have a tailwind, but we did not get lucky for all those <laughs> miles. I had a, what we'll call crosswind in my right ear the entire time. It oh, was horrible. It was 20 to 25 miles an hour on my right side. Um, I mean, you'd go by these grain silos and the bike would, would go straight back up and then you'd pass it and you'd be leaning to the right again to try and get, you know, not tip over the yeah, other yeah. way. And thank God I'm a, I'm a big guy. I, uh, I'm 170 pounds, uh, six, two, um, the little guys get blown around on the road. Those I don't think the word is a big guy. It's a tall guy. <laughs> No, I'm huge. I tell my wife this. I'm huge compared to these little 140 pound jockeys that are out there riding. You know. Yeah, so. I saw some, I saw in some of the videos and stuff. Like some of those guys are pretty tiny. Like, yeah, you'd think they'd be riding horses in uh, Saudi Arabia or something, camel racing. Dude, if you it, when, when we stand, I'm like the tallest guy. It's crazy. I think Marco Bala is the only is probably the, the other tall guy, but everyone else is like they have definitely have a weight advantage to make it over the mountains. So, mm-hmm. um, but. That's but okay. when you I come down the other side, you get a little bit more speed. You get that little extra push. The little, little, I do, yes. Yeah. Um, I wanted to yeah. ask you, I know two of the most difficult things personally as a, as a long-time cyclist, good saddles and shoes. Um, what do you use for a saddle? And I think I, you can talk about your shoes too. I checked them out. They were ridiculously expensive. But uh. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, saddles. So I think – not even saddles. It's more of the chamois that you use, you know, your kit. Mm-hmm. So uh, D- DNA is a local Salt Lake company here. They build my kits. Um, and then what they do is they have a special chamois that they put in. So an uh, endurance chamois. So six to eight hour chamois. Okay. That's what they'll call it. But it's supposed to be one of the best endurance chamois out there. So they'll they'll build my kit and then have the chamois in there. Um, everyone likes ASOS, if, you know. But again, mm-hmm. it's it's personal preference, just like a saddle. Like, um, you know, I'm friends with a bunch of pro cyclists, and you'll you'll see they fly with their saddle. Like, they'll take their saddle off the bike just in case the bike gets lost. They they want their saddle. They'll move it to their race bikes. Um, you know, when they're showing up to the race, you know, like a tour or whatever, mm-hmm. they have their saddle. Oh, wow. um, okay. I use physique. Um, I use uh, three different saddles. No way. Um, from the yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, I learned that the split nose on my hybrid it chafes the inside of my legs. On okay. the TT bike, it's great, right? So like on my climbing bike, I use a ultralight, like an R1. 
Mm-hmm. And then my hybrid now I use, um, I don't know what you call it, but it's like their TT, but it's a, it's a solid nose. It's just a little longer nose with a little padding on it. And then I have a split nose on the, on the TT bike. Um, I think it allows my, my sit bones to kind of relax in different, you know, different setups. Just to change, um, relieve the pressure a bit and stuff, huh? Yeah. So, but the, but the, but the kit and probably my biggest downfall is not changing my kit enough. I hate stopping, you know? So, um, like a 24 hour race, I'll typically wear one kit, which I know is horrible, but, um, I, I, I should be changing every 10 to 12 hours. Um, but to me, a 24 hour race is kind of like a sprint. So it's just like, get through it and be done and I'll deal with everything later. Yeah. But you know, 24 hours in Ram could on the first day could ruin the rest of your Ram. Um, and then I use, uh, rocket seven shoes. Um, they're custom made. They, I basically took a cast of my foot and then they make a mold out of it. And he basically takes my, the mold of my foot, puts it upside down in a, in a vice and molds carbon fiber around my, my foot. So they're ultra light. Number one, number two is I don't have any orthotics. So I'm not trying to Mm -hmm. Compete with a standard mold and then make it fit for me. The, the shoes fit to my foot. So I have no hot spot, nothing like that. One of the, one of the biggest issues in ultra racing is, uh, people's feet swelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you'll hear like they've got Tevas or they've got this mountain bike shoe or they have another shoe a size bigger or so. Um, we never have any, I've, I've never once had a swelling issue where my shoe won't fit or anything like that or it's uncomfortable. Um, I'm sure you've seen pictures of me sleeping in my shoes. Um, a lot of times I wouldn't even take them off. I just go crawl on my bed. If it's a 20 minute nap, I just leave them on. They're super comfortable. Um, yeah, they work. Yeah, well. I watched I, the I watched the video from uh, Rocket Seven, and um, essentially that cast is like a sock. So when you do your fitting, it's like having the thickness of your sock is the cast, and then when they form your shoe, yeah. it's like your foot with a sock in it, right? Yeah. And then they ask you everything. What, what legs longer, what legs short. I mean, you go through like this whole questionnaire. You're like, dude, these are just shoes. Like, really? Like, wow. what do you like? What's this? Where do you like your cleat? Where, where do you like this? And it's like, it kind of goes through everything. And the nice thing about that is, is you get a shoe. Now everyone goes, Oh my God, they're expensive. I've had the same shoe since 15. He built me a custom pair for this last Ram. But I still wear my original pair from five years ago. I see people changing out shoes all the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Like every couple of years, I, I kind yeah, of replace shoes. Do, do, do not take my saddle and do not take my shoes. Like in 2016, I, I actually went back to the accident site to go grab my saddles that were in the middle of the field. And I've had them recovered. Like no joke. Like... I had to go find these things from where my chase vehicle was hit and the bikes were just demolished. I literally found my two saddles on the bike because I did not want to lose those. And uh, uh, when this happened in 2016, how many people were in the car at the time, or anything like this? And was anybody three hurt? Three people were in the car. Yeah, they, all three were hurt. Oh shit! Um, not you know, not lifelong injuries, but everyone was hurt. I mean, yeah, the semi hit the chase vehicle. This chase vehicle was doing 15 miles an hour with orange flashing lights, DOT triangle. Mm-hmm. And the semi hit it. The semi was doing 75 miles an hour when it hit my, when it hit the vehicle. So it was very major. And, you know, and in the Ram community, people are like, keep going. You keep, keep going. You know, you, can't. you, know, you, you like, need the no. vehicles. You've got to have your support team, right? Like not even that. It's, it's the, the human it's factor. The, 
yeah, healing factor. There's people yeah. kind of forget about that. It's like they get so wrapped up in a race. It's like, no, there's actually humans and, uh, my daughter is in the vehicle, so mm. yeah, there's not even a yeah. It's a, there's it's no a, chance. It's after, a game over on that race. Yeah, after a night in the hospital and cat scans and stuff like that, you're like, all right, peace out. We're heading home, you know, and enjoy some yeah, time I, at home. So. I think people often, like you said, people just think you should keep going and stuff. Like the guy I talked to about earlier, Chris Bennett, he talked about his first or his second attempt at the Tour Divide, and he was you know doing great, and he was halfway done, and then he found out his mother had fallen i think and broken a hip or something and he's like that's game over man i flew home to toronto right away to go see my mom you know he's like it's not it's just a race and he's like i could always do it again the next year and and it's not even really a, like for me it's not really a race it's a journey right like mm-hmm. i have the memories of 11 days in my successful round i have the, the memory of 11 days with some really rad people and, and that kind of what's makes, that's what I miss. I don't miss the racing part of it or riding my bark, my bike. I miss the, the camaraderie of my crew. Like my crew is like, gets as much credit on any kind of finish that we get. Like, I mean, I, I praise my crew. Like that's, that's even more important than bikes and everything else mm-hmm. because your crew sets up the dynamic with their attitude, how they're feeling, how did they sleep? Yeah. You know, cause they're on a 12 hour shift. Like, how's it going to be? You know, I remember when I hired my crew chief, Jen and my mechanic, Chris, you know, like, they're like, well, so is your, did your, is your wife really needed on the crew? Cause you know, we have these things, you know, and, and most people are yelling and screaming at their wife or their other half. And I'm like, Oh no, my wife goes, I go, she goes, my wife's normally my crew chief, but in Ram, I just figured it'd be easier to have yeah. someone else do it. So your crew and chief and mechanic, sh- you said you hire them. So this is like, uh, this is pretty serious business, right? It's not like finding a friend that wants to volunteer and just help you out. Okay. So I should say hire. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> so they were volunteers. We, oh, okay. Anyone who cruises, is it's not a paid deal. But what I mean by hiring is like hired them for that specific job. They yeah. weren't, we didn't, we didn't like flip a coin and say, who's going to be doing this. Jen had had a, had a, a successful uh, crew chief, uh, she was successful the year before in 2017 with Andre, who was a hand cyclist that went across the U S okay. in Ram. He's the first hand cyclist ever to be able to come to complete the race, which is mind blowing in its, in its own right. Yeah. So her and Chris work really well together. They come as a team and, uh, and he's a phenomenal mechanic. He's a bike builder. Uh, that's what he does. And, uh, so yeah, I was lucky to have them. So they were interviewing me. I was interviewing them. Um, and at the end of the day, it worked out to be a great fit. And, and like I said, though, it, as I say, his crew is super duper important. Like it mm-hmm. is the most important part of any ultra cycling supported race. And I think you alluded earlier to, um, you know, some people becoming like, you know, they get tired and they get exhausted and they start yelling and their frustrations are high. But you seem to have kept really good spirits throughout the whole event because you actually won an award for being like the most outstanding person to staff throughout the race or something. What was this award you won in? Yeah. So it's the Spirit of Ram Award. Yeah. So it's an Ian, Ian Sambach Award. And I was lucky enough to get that. I don't I don't think it has to do with me and my crew. Or it has to do with my crew and I. But it, has, it doesn't have to be with my attitude towards my crew. It was more of so like in Ram, we um we so at about halfway we decided to stop racing. 
Um, we, we, we decided to just kind of enjoy the journey. And mm-hmm. instead of sleeping nine, 90 minutes a night, I decided to sleep three to four hours a night. And we, like when people are on the side of the road cheering, I stopped and I talked to them, not for long, but just, you know, hand them a water bottle, you know, Hey, what's up? Why are you here? You know? Um, and every time station we started, uh, stopping after that on the East coast. Um, okay. not the, not the smartest racing decision. Cause I probably <laughs> wasted six, eight hours, 10 hours, maybe. Well, with the sleeping, I wasted a lot more time, mm-hmm. but I decided that we were going to finish cause we hit halfway in five days and I decided we were going to finish and, uh, we were going to enjoy it a little bit more. And, and so I think, you know, they, when I finished, they said, you know, we've never had anyone sit and talk to the the volunteers we kept getting reports back that you're you're eating all their donuts and 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 just sitting down and hanging out like it was a coffee break i said yeah it's how it was i raced from time station to time station and then i enjoyed my journey and oh, that's cool. as much as i could uh, after that so that yeah that's what i want and and as far as crew goes i i i'm a please and thank you kind of person i, I can tell you the the three times i lost my crap and ram and 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 uh uh what happened? And I know exactly. Nah, I'll just stop. <laughs> just, <laughs> dude, you're going 3,000 miles across the country, 10, 11 days, and it's hot. It's cold. The rider's uncomfortable. And, you know, one yeah. time I, I, it was just like I told them to go up and tr- try and find me a bathroom and leave the air conditioner on. I was going to take a 20-minute sleep break. And then they, were, they didn't want to leave me alone. For the 30 minutes getting into Congress, Arizona, you know, I was like, no, I told you, please just, I, cause as a rider, sometimes I do want to be alone. Like I just, I just need a half an hour. I got plenty of water on the mm-hmm. bike. I know how to ride my bike. I don't need you that close to me. Like I just need, I need some, my time, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, things happen. I mean, it's, 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 it's a weird, it's a weird journey. I don't, I don't know if the, the bike touring people fall asleep on their bike, but you know, that's another thing in Ram that, I mean, you're pushing, you're pushing yourself hard. Yeah, I've like seen, really I, hard, I don't think so. bike tourists do, but I think like maybe fast or like non-supported bike racers do definitely um, sometimes crash into the ditch and stuff because they fell asleep. Yeah, I've heard of it. I mean, I've, I've heard of it. I mean, uh, Sarah Cooper was telling me about her Ram. And I think she fell asleep three times mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and woke up in the ditch, you know, twice with the crew chief, you know, she's in his arms. Like, <laughs> like. Oh God, I I fell asleep once in Ram and that was enough. And I didn't <laughs> fall, thank God. So uh, I don't like falling. Yeah, it, it, you hurt things, and then you're dealing with something else. It's like God, I'm already dealing with a hundred other things. So yeah, I mean issues with crew. Like I said, my crew are rock stars, man. Um, and and, it, and, if, and if something happens like that, oh man, I feel so bad. And then it's like, yeah. oh geez, what what what's the hell is wrong with me? Um, you you kind of get out of your. I don't know. It's like an out of body experience. It's just, you don't mean to do it. It just, I don't know if you don't, I don't want to make an excuse and say you don't know you're doing it, but it's just, you're just out of it. And mm-hmm. that's why I wanted a racer in my vehicle, but I didn't have one. Um, Sarah Cooper uh, crashed in, in the dirty Kansas XL and broke her collarbone. She was going to be my racer for the last half in the van. And, um, so yeah, I mean it, it's nicer to have a racer in there because they kind of know what you're going through. Oh, okay, so somebody who's had that, like, so now like you're doing with other people, just by being yeah, on that I support like team, to, they you know their feelings, you know what they're thinking, and more or less. Yeah, like yeah, me and Adam Bickett, he's a great guy. Um, 
he's done Ram and, and just, he's fast, man. If I, if we could get him focused on riding his bike, it'd be great. But, uh, he, uh, he and I really talk, or we really work well. Like when we're on the radios in the middle of the night, he's like, what do I need to do? I'm like, keep riding. He's just like, he's like, but I'm tired. I'm like, all right, let's start talking. You start telling me stories. He's like, you heard everything. I'm like, tell me them again. Keep, keep your yeah, mind busy. Yeah. You know, I don't want you falling asleep. I want you, Hey, what, you know, what's going on here? So man, it's crazy because as a rider, you, as a rider or a crew, you really get to know the other person. Like you really get to know, like their kids, their family, their just everything. I mean, you, you, you really get to know whoever's on the radio and, and it'll be funny. Cause I like on my night crew, cause we're in direct follow there. There'll be like, I can hear them. They'll cover the microphone and be like, Hey, you talk to them. Like I'm out of stuff to talk to them about, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they're like, uh, Hey, I'm going to pass the radio to your wife. I'm like, no, Joe, I, I want to keep talking. Like, but tell me about your, your other side. Tell me about this. Tell me <laughs> when did you get married? You know, he's like, you know, they get kind of bored. So yeah, crew is key. That's for sure. That's a big difference. Yeah. You so can't, you can't key. succeed without a good crew. And, um, absolutely. Yeah. How many uh, calories per day do you eat? Cause I know you're probably burning like 10,000 or something like that. Right. Yeah. That's a hard part is getting food in and good, getting good quality food in. So yeah, I use first endurance, like liquid shots. So most of the time in a, in a shorter race, uh-huh. uh, I'll call them sprints or 24 hours. I'm on a liquid diet. Uh, I try and get down three to 400 calories, um, an hour. Okay. Um, so between the electrolyte drink and then my food, um, but then in Ram, I mean, we are going through 10 to 12,000 calories in the first couple of days. And then as your power goes, goes down, we were seven, 8,000. Okay. I've got all my, all my logs, you know, that's the nice thing about power meters and then technology and all that stuff. The, the key with ultras is you don't want to go in a deficit. You don't want to go like your first five hours and not eat because you're going to pay for it. Right. So, right. So even though in those first five hours, you don't feel like eating, you're like, I got to start taking stuff right away because later on it's going to hit me. Right. Right. So like, a like we have this race up here called Lodija. It's like the longest single day race, 206 miles, uh, USA cycling, you know, mm-hmm. uh, event. So before continuing on with the podcast, I just want to thank some of the Bike Tour Adventures sponsors. Bike Tour Adventures is proudly sponsored by Redshift Sports. Founded in 2013 by a team of mechanical engineers who happen to be avid cyclists, they've been focused on creating components that make a meaningful difference to the riding experience, such as the switch aero system, the shock stop suspension system, and the kitchen sink handlebar system. I've been using the dual position seat posts paired with the shock stop stem since 2020 and have nothing but great things to say about their products. Use the checkout code BTA15 on their website to save 15%. Beginning in 2010 with environmental sustainability as a main focal point, Restrap has been in the bag making business for quite some time. Having used a race bag since 2021, I find their holster system and magnetic buckles to be extremely effective and truly unique. Use the checkout code BTAPOD10 to save 10% at checkout. Lastly, named after the animal that roams the Tibetan plateau, Chiru Endurance Bikes was started by Pierre Arnaud Le Magnin in 2009. After noticing the lack of endurance bikes on the market, Pierre used his expertise, know-how, and racing experience to create high-end carbon fiber and titanium bikes for the discerning rider and racer. Thanks, and back to the podcast. I'd always be screwed about six, seven hours. Be like, man, I, I it's, it's the top of the mountain pass. I'm, I'm just feel like crap. And what I learned is like, Oh, I got to eat my way through this thing. Like 
I need to keep the calories in. Number one, we're racing. You know, this is like, it's not ultra, but it's, well, it is kind of, I mean, it's a 200 mile race. It's a long race. Uh, and it's a race, so it's not a ride. And, you know, I learned that if I start eating in the beginning, when I get to hour eight or nine, I'm actually feeling good. Okay. And that's how, you know, like Ram is the same thing. I ate my way across the country. I mean, literally, I mean, it was the amount of food I was going through is ridiculous, but yeah. And keeping a good quality, it's like, I've, I've talked to my sponsor, USANA, they're a vitamin company. Yeah, I know them. Yeah. Like, man, can, can you guys get me an IV that I can hook up to the van that's just going to feed me everything that my body is using, right? But, of course, that changes in heat. It changes in cold. It, I mean, it, it, there's, no, there's no math algorithm that's going to get you exactly what you need. So as a rider, you just need to know that, you know, when it's 110 degrees out, I'm going to have one bottle of electrolyte an hour and I'm probably going to have three bottles of water with salt in it. That's okay. what, you know, that's what's going to happen. And then, oh, when it's cold, yeah, I'm going to go to a liquid shot, liquid nutrition, kind of like an insurer. You know, you hear the ultra racers drink insurer, but I'm going to go to that, not have my electrolyte drink. That way I'm drinking my calories and still going to get in through the night, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, it, and that's a key the, to having. Does that. the team play a big role in this just to remind you to keep drinking because i know when i'm riding i can often like i sit on my home trainer or like you said when you're training and i could just ride a couple hours and hardly drink anything at all you know yeah so in, in the races yeah the crew is important my wife is like on my butt like okay hey you need to drink hurry up finish that bottle i got another one for you because they have a they have a time sheet in that we have a kind of a spreadsheet mm -hmm. so at the end of every hour it it, it, it reminds them you know and it what, gets ticked off do. kind of thing right like Yep. They, oh. I have, I mean, I have like all my Ram logs of like literally what I ate, what time I ate, how, you know, how many calories, how I was feeling my power for that hour. It's kind of great to go back and see what happens. Like it, they came in, I don't know what night it was on. It was somewhere in Kansas or somewhere. They came back and they, they brought me a, cal, a, a barbecue chicken pizza. Right. I was mm -hmm. like, Oh my God, this is awesome. When my night crew came on, well, I pounded that thing and I wanted to go back to sleep. You're right, it's too much food, right? Too heavy. <laughs> yeah, it was way too much food. This is, you know, I was like, it was the best thing I'd ever tasted in my life. I'm like, oh my God, get me another one tomorrow night. And then I, I had a, I had a crappy night racing. Yeah. And so, so my wife, of course, does what, what, what I, what I asked, you know, because she wants to just make sure I'm happy. And, you know, Joe would give me one piece of pizza like every two hours. I'm like, dude, give me another piece. It's like, so yeah, the crew plays a huge role in nutrition and stuff like that. And, mm -hmm. and having familiar crew and experienced crew is, is huge. Okay. I mean, yeah, how did you, how do you schedule your sleeping? I know like it's a, it's a contentious thing. People like deciding how much to sleep and when, um, did you have a certain time of the day you found it best to sleep or? Yeah, there's two rules of thought to this. Some people like to sleep during the heat of the day, mm -hmm. which I think it just messes with my rhythms. So we did in Ram. So the first day, you know, you leave the pier around two o'clock, I think it is, one or two o'clock. And we race, get over to Borrego and get through the night. And I'll normally take like a 20 minute nap as soon as I get to Arizona. Okay. And then after that, I, I go till the next. So two o'clock, I'll race all the way through that night, all the way through that next day, and then I'll sleep somewhere around two o'clock in the morning, so three like o'clock in the morning. Thirty-six hours falling. later, kind of thing, huh? Yeah, yeah. And I might have had two naps, like fifteen, twenty-minute naps. Is it? 
Okay. And then we'll start 90 minutes asleep for the next nights after that. So at, at about two or three o'clock in the morning, that way I'm on the bike when the sun's coming up and it's like, Oh, okay. I, I, I need to be up all day. So I was reading something recently, Fiona Holbinger, I think her or bringer, her name is yep. uh, the, the German girl that won the transcontinental. She said, I would only sleep from around 3 a.m. till 6 a.m. because otherwise when the sun's coming up, it would help me wake up. Otherwise, I might just stay in sleeping longer if I went to bed earlier. And sunrises on the bike are amazing, man. Oh, I know they're just it's like a blessing of a new day. It's kind of one of those things. But I also like riding at night, too, because there's less traffic, you know, Mm -hmm. it's cooler. Um, It tends tends to be cooler yeah but and so i I, but we're you know our sleep breaks are quick we don't have to get to a hotel it's right in the van the van pulls over um and they because we have three crew in the van so they my bunk's already ready and no one sleeps in my bed and i can do a kit change a shower if needed uh or a wet wipe deal Mm -hmm. throw in a new kit i go climb into bed um and and then you know when i wake up i just throw on my helmet and shoes and i'm out the door um, I was talking to one of my buddies, uh, Andrew Danley. I was like, I don't know, day nine or 10 at Ram. And I said, Hey, Andrew, cause he'd call me every morning. This guy's an attorney. He wakes up at four o'clock Pacific coast time. So I'd wait for his phone call, come up on my, my Garmin and I have an earpiece in and I, I'd wait for his call every morning. It was like the, the, the biggest thing. It was the most exciting thing of the day. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'd be, Hey, Hey metal. This is weird. In Ram, am I allowed to sleep with my wife all the way across the country? He's like, <laughs> No, dude, you're having a blessed ram. I'm like, okay, because it's really nice. I mean, it's like, it's as long as I take a shower, she'll sleep next to me. You know, <laughs> she'll take that 90 minute sleep break with me. And uh, but yeah, so that's that's how I like to sleep. Mm-hmm. I, I sleep somewhere in the the late night, early morning, and, and be on the bike when the sun's coming up. And uh, but everyone does it differently. Uh, it, it, it's a personal thing. It's a preference thing. But I won't sleep in a 24 or 36 hour race. There's no reason to. If I do, it's a 20 minute nap at yeah. the most. Yeah. And those help. I mean, those you feel really recharged when you wake up. It's like you kind of feel like a new person. Um, but you give up six to seven miles when you when you do that. And when it's 20 minutes, it's 20 minutes on the clock. It is jump in the van, helmet off, lay down, close your eyes. And when they yank on your foot, you get up. Okay. Like it's no, I'm hitting snooze. It is like I committed to a 20 minute nap. That's it. Cause if you get into too many REM cycles, you're never going to get up. It, it's, it's like it, if you get into a, I guess a REM cycle, then you're never going to get up. Yeah. And when you do, you'll so. be groggy and just like out of it a bit. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I get right on the bike, the bike sitting right along the van side of the van. I just get on helmet on and just hop on a bike and I'm out. Okay. What's the biggest obstacles for success? in a race like this your mind my mind yeah wanting to quit there's always something better to be doing <laughs> there's mm-hmm. i mean <laughs> it's like <laughs> there's always there's always a warm warm place to be or a beach to be it's like kind of like why the hell am i doing this um yeah if you're talking <laughs> like a ram yeah it's a huge it's a huge commitment um but yeah the, the biggest obstacle is my mind like why what i mean it's you're so much time with your head it's kind of like an in in a in an iron man or a 100 mile bike ride there's always a reason to quit and your mind is really good at playing tricks on you like saying 
well, if we quit now, we can be home by here and having a meal and watching TV and chilling out, you know? So mm-hmm. to me, that, that that is the biggest obstacle. Everything else is just a, you know, it's like people say, oh, a headwind. Well, if I got a headwind, everyone's got a headwind. Or, you know, if oh, it's 120 true. out, it's 120 for everyone. So that's we'll like, that's, uh, that's kind of like keeping that positive mindset is, and just to, to kind of rationalize it as whatever you're going through, so is everyone else. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's not like someone else isn't going through what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. They have to go over the same mountain pass as I do, whether I'm going five to six miles an hour or whether, you know, they have to do with the same obstacle as I do. I mean, Wolf Creek Pass, we all go over it. There's no other route. I mean, how Ram big is, is Wolf Creek Pass? Route. Like, I mean, everybody talks about it. Like, uh, well, I mean, everybody. I've I've read about it a few times. Um, sounds... It's a continental divide. I think it's fourteen thousand feet. The, the climb up to it's it, it's a couple hours. But okay, it's like it's my back. It's like my backyard. So, and everyone, a lot of people have issues because they're coming from low altitude. You've raced hard through the desert. A lot of people get lung infections, I think, because they're going hard in the heat. And then you get up to the, the cool, uh, dry air, and it just causes all kinds of problems. Okay. For me, it's my it's like literally being in my backyard. I mean, I could leave here today and, and, and go up to, you know, Empire Pass here, you know, and, and get a ton of elevation gain right out of my backyard. So okay. Yeah, at, Utah's at pretty high elevation, right? Yeah, like for when we have the tour of Utah, which we've had for years, this year it's canceled, unfortunately, with this corona thing. But, you know, the pros will come in, and, and I'm lucky enough to have a good group of friends who are pros, and they'll come stay at the house, and they love it because it's just huge high altitude and lots of climbing, you know, mm-hmm. which is great. So for me, Bull Creek is – I love it. I, I, I have no problem with it. But our key – but see, again, though, when you're racing Ram is understanding how Ram works. We want to get to Wolf Creek before sunset because if you're there at the base of it at 2 o'clock, you have a tailwind going up. Well, if you're there at 6 p.m., 7 p.m., or actually during the summer, it's like 8 p.m., the air is cooling. So you're going to have a headwind up that damn thing because in the mountains, you know, all that air cools and starts descending off the mountain. Right. So we like to be up there before sunset. And then going down the backside with a tailwind in Alamosa. So that's kind of how we always plan it. So Okay. So just these little things like knowing the geography and how, how the weather and um, times of day plays, plays on everything is pretty key too. Huh? Yeah. And unfortunately, is I know that stuff, but and it's hard to get all the information on my bike. Like, mm-hmm. So I'm always talking to the crew and we'll have apps or whatever for them to look at. And we'll do a lot of planning. I'm kind of a – I kind of – quarterback still while i'm doing while i'm racing but i you know i try not to in 2018 i really just started to enjoy the journey and let them uh, take care of the details huh absolutely and so you you did get what you wanted you got there in the afternoon and were able to get up before sunset yeah oh yeah yeah we had a yeah yeah i don't have a problem at altitude some people do i knock on wood luckily fortunate you know I don't, altitude doesn't bother me at all. So like where I raced with Adam Bickett, he had a huge problem at altitude. We'd had to sometimes put him on an oxygen, pull him into the van and put him on oxygen. I know we did that in the 508. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, he just, some because when you live at the beach, you know, it's just, it's a different, your different red red blood cells and stuff like that. Where I live, I mean, I'm at 5,500 feet here in Park City, 6,000 feet, so. Yeah, you have a good um, advantage right. when you go down for your races because your your blood is so much more uh, 
well, what's the word for it? Anyways, oxygenated. It's thicker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. More oxygenated. So yeah, we, I don't go down until Saturday and we leave Oceanside on a Tuesday. So, um, I stay up here as long as I can and train up here and yeah, awesome. it works out. Even, even where I go to St. George, I think is at like 4,000 feet, still the high desert. So, you know, when I get my heat training in, I, I go down to St. George, Southern Utah, and it's still a good altitude and, and, and hot. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I think, um, the big difference between the unsupported races and this is you, you don't really carry anything with you on the bike, right? Other than maybe a couple little snacks in your back pocket or, and a microphone in your Nothing. ear. Nothing at all. Yeah. There's no, I don't even carry snacks. Not even if I want it. No, it, during the daytime, if we're not in direct follow, I mean, the, the van's still 30 minutes. I mean, it's at the most, I don't see it as 15 to 30 minutes cause they're leapfrogging me. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I try and go as little water on the bike as I can or, um, just to be as light as I can, just depending what part of the route. I mean, if I'm on Wolf Creek, I'll, I will only have a max of one bottle. Okay. Um, if I'm climbing, but you know, if I'm in the desert, I'll have two bottles, typically one with water and one with electrolyte. And the water is just to put on my legs to try and, 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 uh, cool down my legs a little bit. Uh, the femoral artery, you know, mm-hmm. get that cool. And then, uh, I, I always wear a cooling towel around my neck. So I add water to it. I hate, uh, that some people use sprayers and stuff like that and dump water on their head. And I just, I don't, I, I don't like water on my face. So I like a cooling towel right around my neck and I tuck it into my Jersey and I, I add the water I want to it to kind of keep it cool. So. Okay. And that's um, predominantly when you're in the hot places like the deserts and stuff, huh? Yeah, when it's 100, mm-hmm. 90, 100, you know. We didn't use those when we got to the East Coast because the humidity was like, <laughs> it was, and plus it rained pretty much from Missouri all the way on. Yeah, I was going to I was gonna mention earlier when you were talking about the, the bib shorts and stuff and the, the pad, I was talking to one guy he that does the unsupported races and he races with only one pair of bib shorts because he wants to cut the weight. I'm thinking, man, you wear that thing for like 11 days straight nothing like well no. i'm sure he washes it yeah well he's got to <laughs> rinse it once in a while <laughs> every yeah, every um, few days i think yeah and that's the difference i have a crew so i go through bibs i throw them into my my uh into my i don't know net my laundry bag mm-hmm. you know and then every couple of days i have new laundry and it's folded it's nice i go to get a new kit it's all together like it's like it's awesome this is like it, it's amazing that's why i say crew for me is is important but also every minute counts for me i get the same thing in the trans am every minute counts also of course uh but the thing is for them is each each one of those persons has to do laundry has to stop for food it becomes more of a you know i'd say a different it's a different race but it's still the same technical am Mm -hmm. i going to stop and do laundry at a laundromat or am i going to go stop by a river get naked clean my clothes and get moving again you know right um it's just different it's I mean, I have so much respect for those guys. It's crazy. It's like, wow, they're, they're amazing in my eyes. I, I was just watching, uh, the race about Mike Hall and and all that. I forget what it is. The the Australia one. Yeah. What's it called? Um, no, no, not Australia. It it was, uh, it was a trans America. Oh, okay. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Trans America. But no, I have tons of respect for those guys. Yeah. I have another question to ask you. Um, just in terms of finances, I mean, Obviously, every every supported racer is kind of individual, but what is the rough cost of doing an event like this? All said, like Ram, yeah, yeah, that's a loaded question. Um, not counting bikes, 
or van or anything like that from so here's how you think about it you have 10 crew members roughly mm -hmm. you have to house them for three to four days in oceanside get them to oceanside feed them and then from the starting line you're paying for all their food all their housing you know all their hotels and everything all the way across the country and then when you get to annapolis feed house them and then fly them home Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not uh, even, yeah, that's, I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah. Fuel for three vehicles going across the country. Uh, I wanted my crew taken care of, so they all stayed in hotels. They weren't sleeping in a park. Some, I mean, the Europeans come over and their crew sleeps on like hammocks or cots and stuff like that. And I mean, there's all different ways to do it. Mm -hmm. All in, I think we were 28,000 across the country. And that's not including the bikes and your custom built camper. No, not even close. Wow. So I'm very fortunate to have a great sponsor like USANA mm -hmm. that helps out with a lot of that expense. Okay. Um, and for them, it's great because it gives them, you know, a 10, 11 day platform um, with a sponsored rider. So and it also and gets them to, to experience experiment and see like how their products are helping or where yeah you know, so it gives them a lot of positive feedback Absolutely. too. Oh yeah, I mean this isn't just ten days. I'm a guinea pig for them for a year during training. You know what product's working? How's it working? What is this? Same with first endurance. You know how does this product work? I mean I can't tell you. First endurance works great for me. Might not work well for you. Right. Um, I will tell you though, a rocket seven shoe definitely worth the money. A a, a good kit over a cheap kit definitely worth the mm -hmm. money you know <laughs> i can tell you where but their price i looked the them up i looked them up they're about 1500 us i think and i was like oh yeah. that is sick but it's i mean like it's an investment where they're gonna last well, a how much time. is a pair how much is a pair of carbon sold cycling shoes now that's Three, true they're like bucks yeah even if not more some of them are 600 bucks yeah yeah. Okay. So, but you can't rebuild those. If I have a problem with my rocket seven shoe, I just send it back to them and then they rebuild the sole or add more, you know, add more to the heel or do whatever and send it back. It's like, that's great. You mm -hmm, know? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, no, I think it's, it's, yeah. So yeah, it's expensive. Um, and you're paying for 10 people. So when you say they're volunteers, well, I'm, I'm, you know, we're, we're paying for 10 days of their life, 11 days, well, yeah. more than that, 14 days of their life, you know? True, true. Um, and, and I'm fortunate that, that, that all those people are still friends, you know? Um, they, they pitch in. I mean, they're giving up two weeks of vacation. They could be in Hawaii or something, right? It's, yeah. It's their all expense paid vacation, but dude, they're giving so much with their heart, with their, just everything. It's, it's, I'm, and it's so not an easy job. Through. It's a, probably a really stressful job for them too. <laughs> I'm like, who wants to screw up? Yeah. Like really, like when you're on the crew, like who wants to screw up a bottle, uh, you know, a bottle handoff? I can't tell you how many bottle handoffs have happened where we, you know, a bottle hits the ground. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's not that big of a deal. It's like whoopee, you know. Uh, I didn't see any screwed up bottle handoffs in your videos. Come on. <laughs> no, I have good crew. I remember the first time my wife went to go hand a bottle, and we had practiced in the driveway like everyone does with the, you know their significant other, I guess. And and, and uh, you're supposed to hold your hand out, you know, hold the top of the bottle, hold the bottom of the bottle. I come by and grab it, right? Okay. Well, the bottle she's holding straight in front of her. 
And I'm like, oh my God, if I don't, if I grab that bottle, it's going to end up in her face. Like, so I, <laughs> I tried to kind of like, I tried to pick it out of the top of her hand and put it in, and, and kind of airlift it over her head. Well, of course the bottle went flying and, and I, I, I think I had some choice words like, ah, F, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. the truck pulls up next to me and she's like, really? Did you say that to me? And the window goes up. I'm like, I need the bottle. Like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> and she's, and after that, she's always, it's always been a joke. You will be nice to me if you get a bottle, you know? So <laughs> it's, I, I, to me, it's an adventure. It's a journey. Yeah. It's, it's rad. We screw up. We, 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 we have accomplishments and that's, that's ultra racing, man. You're going to go through every emotion. Good. Sure thing, yeah. I'm sure that it, the bike packers are the same way. You know? No doubt. I want to talk about one thing else before we, uh, we end this. And that's the, uh, the rate of non finishing, I guess, or the rate of success in the inverse. Um, I mean, it's quite a high percent. Don't actually finish the race, right? Yeah. I don't know what it is exactly, but I think it's 50%, more than 50% mm -hmm. don't finish. What is um, I think it's even, even larger to say how many don't, how many have the intention to show up. And for some reason, they don't make it to the starting line. Oh, really? Yeah. Crash before. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people. Uh, Rick, uh, the owner of the race, Rick and Fred could probably give better data on that. But to, to me, showing up is, is the biggest win. Um, mm -hmm. Well, I guess because in your training, in the training that goes into it, anything can happen where you just pull a hamstring hard or you crash on the bike or, or even just mental game. You, you talk yourself out of it saying, I'm not ready. Or... Yeah, crew issues. I mean, there's. Yeah, I didn't train enough. I didn't, I don't know crew issues. I think people still go even if they have it. Um, and then yeah, I mean, I've seen people get 300 miles and quit. I'm like, huh? Like, wow. What What were you thinking? Um, I've seen people get a thousand miles and quit. I mean, it's it's. It, you, they quit for whatever reason. Either they're going too slow. They didn't expect it to be that hard. I mean, honestly, really, to go ride 200 miles is—I think it's 264 miles. You have to do a day for 12 days to to finish Ram at the last minute, right? Mm -hmm. That's easy, right? I mean, two, 264 miles—that's no big deal. Yeah, it's actually a big deal <laughs> because the first day, 264 miles, might not be a big deal. The second day, your butt hurts. The third day, your feet hurt. The fourth day, your hands hurt. When you start compiling all these problems on top yeah. of each other, oh, by day six, seven, eight, there's no way in hell you want to ride the bike. Oh, wait. And then we're going <laughs> to, then we add the rain and humidity to the East Coast. Oh, shit. Why do I want to get on my bike? This is the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at Instagram yesterday and there is a, a pro racer who, uh, who is doing a three-day challenge of riding 12 hours a day. And he was talking, he was coming up to his third day. So he just finished his second. He was talking about how much harder it is and how much he's not looking forward to the third day. And I was thinking about our interview today. Are you talking about Timothy? It could be. I'm not sure who. Yeah. He's like on day nine right now. Oh no. This is somebody who was going to do just three days. So I don't even think they were doing more than uh Oh yeah. Uh, Timothy Rugg, I think is how you say it. His last name is, is R-U-G-G. -G. He is, I'm just looking it up right now. He should be on day 10, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, so yesterday was day nine. He was in Iowa. He's 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 he won't make like a twelve hour finish, um, and I wouldn't do it on a trainer's. The trainer to me is much harder. You don't have the rest. You don't have a downhill. Mm -hmm. You don't really have a stop. I mean, it's this this whole 
virtually doing a ultra races uh, i'm I, i'm not a fan of it it's kind of crazy they, they more props to him that that sounds pretty crazy um this guy was uh i think he's british and he was just doing it as a fundraiser for money for the nhs oh, nice. and uh he was just going to try to do three 12-hour days uh but he's a he's a pro like tour pro rider you know like peloton rider oh, that, might be, that might be Garon Thomas, I know I, I, all these guys are doing virtual stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, right? like it's it's all. I love it. It's awesome. Welcome to my world. But all the complaints, I'm complaints. I shouldn't say complaints. All the issues that are coming up, I'm like, oh yeah, it gets worse. It does not get better. Like, and that's one of the things in preparing for Ram was that we wanted to try and minimize all the issues. Saddle source mm-hmm. by you know being professionally fit. You know, hand issues by you know bike position you know everything plays an effect because as you as the days go on things don't get easier i can grunt through it like i said i can grunt through a hundred mile ride with two bottles of one bar and call it good right mm-hmm. um or i can get through a hundred mile ride and want to go ride a hundred miles again well day after day you have to wake up from your 90 minute sleep break and want to get on the bike and things don't get better they only get worse yeah. I, i've never met anyone that said oh yeah day 11 was so much better than day 1 i've never <laughs> yeah i was watching the uh, <laughs> i was watching the video you posted of uh the documentary made by the guy from manchester city a football team and you alluded to the ptsd of watching that video and bringing back all these memories and oh, uh, yeah, while yeah. watching that documentary, as soon as I like, they talked about his neck, and they didn't even call it Shermer's neck, but I mean, it's definitely Shermer's neck. Um, I was like, "That's race over, man!" Like he, it's a very difficult to finish a race like that with you can't look up. Yeah, that's for sure. You know, we were. I was in I was in Kansas, and uh, this guy Al Jefferson, he's an Aussie, and. Uh, he and he and his crew chief. He he had done it as a team before in seventeen, I think it was, and then in eighteen they were coming to just see how Ram was, you know, solos were doing, and so I stopped there in a lounge in a uh, like a chair on the side of the road. They had their minivan, two chairs, and they had beers, and you know, and they're cheering like, and I'm like, I stopped. He's like, No, you're racing, man. Keep going. And I'm like, who the hell are you guys? I keep seeing you along the route, you know. And he was telling me, and just a quick five minute story. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, oh man, you look so good compared to the guys behind you. They got neck braces already. They're just, they look like crap and you actually look good. And I was like, cause we prepared for it, you know? And, and it, I think everyone's journey is so different, you know? And mm-hmm. it's, and, but yeah, once you have an issue, it becomes a game over it, it, really quick. I mean, things, like I say, do not get better. They get worse. Yeah. Fast. And that's my advice to everyone is, you know, when you ride a hundred miles and you, your right knee hurts. It's going to hurt worse in 400 miles. I promise you. So get that fixed so that when you do ride that, that it doesn't bother you, you know, long term. So mm-hmm. good call. Um, yeah, I think I saw a lot. Like some teams are even handing off neck braces to other teams and stuff and like that kind of thing. For- we, we, we sent one of our spares back and then, uh, it was funny. Uh, not funny. My buddy Andy Christensen, he, uh, he was having issues and we were talking to one of his crew members. I don't remember what the deal was. We were in Kansas or Missouri or something like that. Uh, they were up ahead and we were just coming off of a sleep break. Um, I think this is one time I stayed in a hotel because I wanted a shower and a bed. Uh, and it just worked out that my crew was there. And during the cruise ship, I was able to stay in a hotel, but I ended up handing them back some amp 
you know, uh, sodium bicarbonate cream because mm-hmm. his legs felt like crap. And so he loved it. And then it was asking for more. So we were ended up sending more back by sending more back. We leave it at a time station for them to get kind of a deal. So they catch up to where we were oh, okay. and left yeah. them something, but dude, Ram's a family. Like I said, I open up my playbook to anyone who asks, I'll spend hours on the phone with anyone who wants information. I, because at the end of the day is it, it's our own journey against the clock to get to the finish. Right. Mm-hmm. Like win or lose anyone who finishes a, is a winner, right? Like I had a goal of top 10 for Ram. Well, my first goal was finish. My second goal was top 10. Um, my third goal was top five and my fourth goal was top American. And you, you know? got them all. Um, yeah, it, it worked out. I, I ended up, there were realistic goals. I knew I wasn't going to win, you know? So I was like, you're going to win. I'm like, not a chance. I don't want to push myself that hard. Like, how much, I, how much nah. faster was the first place finisher overall? Oh, Strasser. He was like days ahead of me. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Strasser's in a whole nother league. Like there's not even a, like, the only way to beat him is, is when he doesn't finish. Like that's the only way there's not even a, oh, wow. I, I, I have realistic goals. I, there's not a chance like a, like a Marco or a Strasser. I'm not going to beat them in a 24 hour or, you know, I might beat them in a running race, you know, cause we, none of us run, you know, I'd have a chance, <laughs> but in a bike race, it's not going to happen. But then you look at a guy like, you know, when my friend Ben King, you know, he'll be messaging me while I'm racing across the country, you know, and um, as he's getting ready for like the Tour de France, he's watching me and it's kind of like, what? Why are you watching me? But he's like, you're crazy, dude. Like, this is nuts. I've never ridden a bike that long. That's the dumbest thing ever. Like, keep going, but that's dumb. Like, because <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just different, right? It's amazing. So, yeah. Everybody's yeah, poison pill is slightly different. Yeah, it's just different. It's it, it, yeah, it's kind of how yeah. it works. So well, Mike, it's been a it's been an amazing uh, hour or so. Um, thanks yeah. for taking this time with me. Anything else you want to share before we leave, or um, any uh, any future plans of crazy races that you're up to? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I could share is everyone's journey is different. You know, for some people, their ram is going out and doing a hundred miles, you know, and I, I want to encourage everyone to just go out there and, and live life. Right. Like, mm-hmm. and, and you don't eat an elephant in one bite, it's multiple bites. So, you know, if it's, if it's, you know, doing a double century out of, out of the, out of, you know, your realm of possibility, just work up to it. You know, hundred miles, 120, 130, 140, 150. I just didn't get on my bike and ride across the country. That's not how it worked. It's, there's a lot of work that goes back in there and, and I, I think everyone's dream is attainable if you're willing to put in the hard work to get it. You know, um, I'm, I've got a couple of races planned this year and, uh, the, uh, you know, a couple of ultras and, and, and I have to put the work into it. And, um, that way that I, I enter the race and I, and I know I'm going to finish and, and finish well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, everyone's journey is different. And I just, I mean, I challenge people to go out there and live life and, and, uh, and enjoy enjoy the journey. What kind of distances are your upcoming races? Just like uh, four hundred miles. Oh, okay. Just <laughs> so only four hundred from Salt from Salt Lake to St. George, and then the I don't know how to say it, the Nache Nache Trace uh, four four four, the yeah. one that goes from Tennessee down to Mississippi, mm-hmm. which is kind of a flat race. So for me, that's going to be flat and fast. I'll just be on the P five X the whole time. I think it's got fifteen thousand feet of climbing and four hundred forty four miles. So. That, that that is my kind of race like that is it'll be very fast for me so uh driving the van out to the east coast and then yeah and do an ultra gravel race 
three weeks after that. So 200 miles out in Iowa. I love Iowa gravel. It is always an adventure out there. Yeah. I'm looking to do a couple gravel events this year once I get that new bike and, uh, and then another bigger event across the country. If, uh, if we're landlocked and we can't fly out of the country or go anywhere, I'll just do something within Canada. And, um, yeah, so one, it might be an eight hour, one might be a 24 hour gravel race and that, that should be kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And that, I mean, that's, what I mean, everything is different for everyone and, uh, you know, respect everyone's kind of journey. It's, it's awesome. And, yeah. And every, I mean, dude, I love when someone goes and rides the century and they accomplish it. I'm cheering for them. That's freaking awesome. Like, it's great. I don't think I could do a century right now. I've been off the bike for about a year and a half, so I'm, I got a lot of work to do. So <laughs> I haven't ridden 100 miles since Ram. I, I'll, I'll go do 70, and I'm on the couch, and my wife's like, what the hell's wrong with you? I'm like, I just rode 70 miles. She's like, yeah, uh, why are you on the couch? <laughs> so everyone's journey's different, man. Go out and live life. Yeah, I did um... – I did uh, with some guys over, uh, we did a Zoom call and we put, all put on a Lord of the Rings trilogy a couple weeks ago. There you go. So nine hours long and we just sat on our bike trainers and did a Zoom call at the same time and chatted and watched Lord of the Rings. That was pretty much, uh, that was my first longest indoor riding session. And it was about God bless you. 225 <laughs> kilometers or something. Wasn't pushing God really hard. Just, uh, <laughs> just giving my, it. My longest is my longest is four hours. I will not sit on a trainer for longer than that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty boring. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's just hard. So, thanks for your time, and uh, I wish you guys all the best and to be safe during this uh, uncertain time in North America or the world, I should say. And uh, hopefully, it all yeah. blows over sooner than later, and we can all get back to normal life. Yeah, nice chatting with you. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Bye, bye. I just want to quickly thank Michael Conti once again for taking the time to to record this podcast with me. It's really interesting to get the, the perspective and um, and understanding of how these supported bike races work because you know a lot of us um, bike tours don't really know about the supported ultra distance racing um, community. It was, it's so mind-blowing to go sit through this interview and like learn these things and when you hear about the numbers and the costs and the amount of bikes and equipment and you know support crews and uh just fantastic so once again thank you michael for taking the time to sit with me and share that and um, if anybody does uh, have a real deep interest in knowing more about this you can definitely find michael um through his instagram and stuff which i'll post links to and you could reach out to him. As he said, he's more than pleased to share his knowledge and his experiences with people that are that are really interested in it. And uh, you can get some details from him, and including um, lots and lots of statistics and whatnot. So I think that'll come in really useful for anybody that's interested in that. Thanks again, Michael, and we'll be in touch. In the next episode of Bike Tour Adventures, I'm going to be speaking with Katie, also known as You've Got to Wander. As a female adventurer, Katie's an inspiration to women all over the world to get out there, seek new challenges, and overcome bigger and bigger obstacles. From cycle touring, having cycled from the United Kingdom to Southeast Asia, hiked the lengths of England and New Zealand, Katie has some really wonderful stories, advice, and knowledge to share with listeners. So listen in, stay tuned, and uh, I hope you guys gain some useful knowledge from this. I want to end my show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I receive from you regularly. 
It really motivates me to keep going with this project and to share people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at info at biketouradventures.com or go to www.biketouradventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and my new touring tips page, which is slowly getting created. I'll also be integrating the Touring Talk podcast episodes into the Touring Tips section so you can listen to or read on whatever topics you like. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can also become one of my show supporters by going to www.patreon.com slash biketouradventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. Much appreciated and keep on peddling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated and keep on pedaling.